0: a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive able to leap tall buildings at a single bound hey, Jim. Boom. excuse me that's a bad outfit. it's not an ass on my world it means hope well here it's an ass they will race behind you they will stumble they will fall but in time they will join you in the sun Easy, miss. I've got you. You, You've got me! Who's got you? Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! You're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. 30-something podcast. Yeah, we're back again. Um, this is going to be episode number two of our Superman 80th anniversary special, uh, Spectaculario, whatever word you want to use. Um, but I am your host, John Reed, back again for part two. And oh man, I I have just got a ton of stuff. I'm just going to jump right into it because I got a ton of stuff here. Um, related to last time, I mean, we talked about Superman in the comics and in or just kind of the character in general, and this time jumping into Superman in other uh, forms of media. So there's a lot of, lot of stuff. Uh, I think I mentioned last time that uh, my wife commented I might've been spending way, way more time taking notes on these episodes than it will actually take me to record them. But now that I'm looking at all the notes that I have, I'm not entirely sure. This could be like a 20-hour podcast. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to just jump right into it here. I will say if you – I'm going to spoil a whole bunch of stuff. So if you haven't watched any of these shows, any of the movies, if basically if you know nothing about Superman and you have not been involved in the Superman – franchise over the years, whether that's TV, whether it's cartoons, whether it's live action, whether it's theatrical movies, uh, you're going to get spoiled because I'm going to talk all about them. So, um, but there's so, so much. So I'm probably going to gloss over some of your favorites. I, I obviously will be talking about some of my favorites. Um, but just, be aware of that. Is that there's a ton of stuff to talk about, and and uh, this is going to be like the final episode that we do for the Superman eighty of the stuff, because we need to get back into our eighties movies, which you will be uh, having in your ears uh, probably Wednesday of this week when we are talking about two very very strange movies, uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes and Tapeheads. So. If you have not seen those, and if you want to hear some weird, weird stuff, then uh, come on back on Wednesday. We'll be talking about those two movies from 1988. So let's just dive right into it here. And uh, I'm going to jump into Superman over the airwaves. So this is, we talked last time about the Superman comic books. Now we're jumping into uh, the Superman, we had the Superman radio show. And um, that's kind of the the, the first uh, avenue we're going to go with this, and then we'll jump into movies and TV So The Adventures of Superman, the radio show, was from 1940 to 1951, and there was a newspaper strip that started in 1939, and then the radio show started in 1940. Uh, Bud Collier was the voice of Superman, and Joan Alexander was Lois Lane in this program, and it was a popular after-school program for kids. A lot of times it was either a 15-minute or a half-hour show that would be on in the evenings as kids would be getting home from school, kind of in between school and dinner time. And some of the differences between the radio show and the comics and the early stories is that initially uh, Krypton is on the opposite side of the sun from Earth. So it's not like in some distant star system somewhere. And Superman is full grown when he arrives. There are no there's no Jonathan and Martha Kent or Eben and Mary Kent or or whatever you get from those early stories. There are no Kents. He's fully grown when he arrives. Uh, Later, the radio show was changed to reflect the comics as well. The radio show actually introduced Kryptonite. And this is a bit of an interesting story that I didn't even know um, about this was that one of the reasons why Kryptonite was introduced was because you had to make Superman vulnerable in some way. He had to, if you, you know, if you've got gangsters and, and humans with guns that are fighting Superman, you had to find some way for Superman to be vulnerable to these villains that didn't have superpowers. So they invented the element of kryptonite. The other interesting side effect of this is that um, this, this is obviously back before we had reruns. And so Bud Collier, the voice of Superman, he was on all the time, go, go, go all the time, always recording, always uh, over the airwaves as the voice of Superman sometimes bud collier needed a break so kryptonite actually gave uh, a way for superman to be kind of knocked out or incapacitated for a while and they would bring in kind of a a sub voice artist that would do the superman groans just like in the background or the uh, 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 kind of stuff that superman when he's uh, dealing with the kryptonite that was not my best superman dealing with kryptonite groan but um It gave Bud Collier a chance to kind of take a break. Sometimes you'd have actors come in and uh, show up as Batman and Robin, who would guest star, to kind of give a little bit of a break to Bud Collier. But initially, that's one of the reasons why Kryptonite was created, to give the voice actor a bit of a break and have someone else come in and groan for a while. Um, You had... Other kind of supporting cast that were introduced through the radio show, Perry White, uh, Jimmy Olsen, were originally on the radio, not in the comics. One of the other interesting things, probably one of the most influential episodes, um, or, or I think it was one episode, maybe a couple of uh, set of episodes, um, on the radio was titled The Clan of the Fiery Cross. And supposedly what happened was there was, um, there was uh, someone, an agent who had gone undercover in the KKK. And had done, you know, had, had tried to find out some of their secrets and, and uh, supposedly found out some of their different like secret codes and their rituals and things like that. And so he took that and they decided to have Superman on the radio fight against the KKK. And that they would actually reveal a lot of the secrets of the KKK on this radio program. And so it actually affected the actual Ku Klux Klan in real life. It, it affected their ability to recruit. And so you know, even in real life, the radio Superman is fighting against uh, villains. So that's, I don't really have a whole lot of exposure with the radio show. Um, I you know I've listened to a few episodes here and there. I had some cassette tapes as a kid that featured some of the original Superman radio programs. So I don't have a whole lot of exposure to that. So that's not necessarily my forte when it comes to superman knowledge but um those are just some of the interesting little tidbits that that we've got from the uh, adventures of superman radio show then we get into superman on the big screen and that starts with the fleischer animated shorts in 1941. So from 41 to 43, you had uh, nine of those episodes were done by Fleischer and eight uh, when Fleischer um, was kind of then transformed into famous studios. You have eight by famous studios. Bud Collier and Joan Alexander uh, came back as Clark uh, Clark Kent, Superman, and Lois Lane. And uh, they used the um, kind of the... um, the tool of rotoscoping for adding realistic motions to the, uh, animation. So if you're not familiar with what rotoscoping is, is they take, they kind of trace over, um, actual people moving around and they animate that. Um, and so that's why on occasion you have some very realistic looking motions coming from these cartoons. And I, I think these cartoons just look beautiful. Um, the Fleischer cartoons, they're, they're very simple. um, I just like the the take on Superman. I like the costume. I like the way it looks in the Fleischer cartoons. And I like the animation of the Fleischer cartoons. So this is one of the earliest um, examples of Superman I was exposed to as a kid was, and I don't remember how I saw these, but somehow either these were on, you know, Saturday morning cartoons or, or somehow it was in some collection. Maybe I, you know, rented from the, the uh, video store, but, um, I just remember seeing these as a kid and just being just enthralled by the animation and you know, Superman fighting the giant robots and the mad scientists and, and all that. Um, initially the Fleischer's felt that the animation of him leaping around looked kind of their quote is silly. Uh, so they gave him the power of flight. And ultimately, when I think when people came back to the comics, they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Superman flies, why are you just having him leap around? Then the comics decided, oh, yeah, let's, that looks cool. Let's give him the, uh, let's give him the power of flight. Um The other thing I have about the Fleischer Superman, interestingly enough, and we didn't mention this when we did uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit earlier this year, the Fleischer Superman was actually supposed to show up in a deleted scene of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, They were going to do a scene of Marvin Acme's funeral, and Fleischer Superman was going to be uh, in that scene as well. So then we get to the serials, uh, and that is from 1948 and 1950. So in 1948, uh, the serial Superman Uh, Featured Kirk Allen and uh, Noel Neal as Clark and Superman and Lois Lane. There was a 15 part black and white. Uh, It was, it kind of gave Superman's origin, discovering kryptonite, and fighting the Spider Lady. Um,. The really cool thing about this one, and, and I, for some reason, the original folks that worked on it, and, and some people have said that they think it looks horrible, but uh, Superman's flight sequences in here were, were actually done as animation um, to kind of save money. And they said that it just didn't really look realistic when they tried to do it any other way uh, with wires or anything like that. I actually think it looks really cool. I remember you know watching this and, and seeing every time he'd take off, all of a sudden it would look like an animated Superman taking off and I was like oh well that's kind of a cool effect um, but apparently the people at the time didn't like it so um, they they said oh you know it just doesn't look realistic and does it- it's Superman it's a flying alien so I I don't know that it has to look super realistic but that's okay. That's my opinion. The other one was Adam man versus Superman. And that was from 1950 again, featured Kirk Allen and Noel Neal. Uh, Lyle Talbot played Luther. Uh, Luther shows up as the Adam man character and terrorizes Metropolis. Um, you know, initially he is, that's kind of his disguise is that he is the Adam man. And I, I think some of that kind of came back when, uh, they came to Superman Four, the quest for more money and wanted to create a nuclear man and have him ultimately be kind of a clone of Superman and Lex Luthor. So then we get into the films. So once we get past the the animation and the serials that would have been in the movie theaters at the time, because you had no TV, uh, we get into the films and we have Superman and the mole men from 1951 that featured George Reeves uh, showing up as Superman now and Phyllis Coates as Lois Lane. Uh, Clark and Lois are reporting on the drilling of the world's deepest well, and the drill ultimately disturbs the mole people. Uh, They look different and they glow in the dark. So the locals are kind of terrified and want to kill them. And this was ultimately used as a two part pilot for the adventures of Superman TV series, which they renamed the unknown people for that series. One of the interesting things about this is initially the mole men are not villains. They are – it's just kind of a misunderstanding. They look different. So the people want to – the local people want to kill them and Superman has to come in and uh, save the mole people. And ultimately the mole people do kind of try to fight back a little bit. But um, one, I thought that was one thing kind of interesting getting at the whole heart of Superman 2 is – not Superman 2 but Superman also is that uh, Superman is – you know, he, he's sometimes he's kind of brokering. Um, he's the intermediary between people who are just have some kind of a misunderstanding with each other. Um, and that's one of the things I like about this is even though it's an older movie, it didn't necessarily start as, Oh yeah, there's a, you know, this is a black and white villain and it's, you know, they're, they're definitely evil. And it was a misunderstanding and Superman comes in and, you know, he does the right thing and he's the one that steps into the middle of all this. So, Once we get past those, in terms of movies, um, there are no other movies until we jump straight ahead into 1978. And in 1978, we have what some people call the Donnerverse, because it started with the Richard Donner Superman movie in 1978, Superman the Movie. And then it kind of, that kind of goes, if you want to say that the Donnerverse is the Christopher Reeve movies, then that period of time, we're going to say kind of goes from 1978 to about 2006, because a lot of people, you know, even though those other movies are directed by different people and they really don't fit with Richard Donner's vision of what Superman was going to be, they are kind of a continuous continuity. Um, you know, even though Superman returns in 2006 takes all of that and erases uh, Superman 3 and Superman 4, it's still it's it's paying homage to that Christopher Reeve Superman and to that kind of original Richard Donner um, continuity that they had started there. So starting with Superman the movie in 1978, uh, which has pretty good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, it gets a 93%. Metacritic uh, gives it an 88 rating, and Ebert listed it as one of his top 10 movies of 1978. Uh, So Ilya and Alexander Salkind buy the rights to Superman in 1973, and they had been thinking about making a Superman movie since then. They had a couple of writers in mind, but they didn't think they were established enough, so they hired Mario Puzo, who did The Godfather uh, to write the script. And they actually initially wanted, uh, they had some different options, but they wanted Spielberg to direct. And they knew that when Jaws came out, he was very successful and, and they knew that he was going to be a great director. But, uh, you can kind of tell right off the bat how things are going to go with all this because when Jaws came out, it came out over budget. And that's when they immediately said, no, we don't want Spielberg. So instead of going with the director that they thought would be good and would bring something good to the movie, they went with their pocketbook. And I think um, as these movies progress, we we see a lot that the Salkinds were um, sometimes overly focused on uh, how much money something was going to cost over being able to make sure it was a quality film. So Brando, Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman were hired first. Uh, Guy Hamilton was hired as a director. He did a lot of the James Bond movies, Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, He was hired on. And originally production started in Italy, but Brando had an Italian warrant for his arrest. It was a sexual obscenity charge from his movie Last Tango in Paris. So then production moved to England, but then Guy Hamilton couldn't be there in England because I think there was something about if he was in England for more than 30 days, he would be arrested for tax evasion. So he was a tax exile uh, from England. So finally, they brought in Richard Donner and Richard Donner became the director of the movie. Christopher Reeve was almost not cast because they thought he was too skinny. Uh, So Reeve started a training routine with Darth Vader, David Prowse, uh, to bulk up for the role. Uh, there was a lot of tension on this movie between the Salkinds and Donner and Richard Lester, who was brought in to kind of be a a mediator between the producers and the director. Um, And they were deciding to film this one back to back. They were going to film it back to back with Superman one and Superman two. And Donner had finished about 75% of Superman two, but was ultimately fired by the Salkinds and replaced with Richard Lester for Superman two. One of the things about this, I, am not going to go too much into the, like the actual plot of the movie, but just knowing that it's the origin story of Superman when he first, first meets Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, Perry White, Lex Luthor, um, and the plot really kind of revolves around Lex Luthor as the villain and his, his, uh, kind of land grab. Like he's wanting to build up his fortune and, uh, his criminal empire by, um, knocking California off into the sea and having a lot of this, what he deems this worthless land uh, that's a little bit further in from the coast, then suddenly becomes the new coast and it becomes very uh, wealthy land, very uh, valuable land. And then obviously his investment in this land is um, then is returned back to him many fold over. One of the other things about this that kind of changed and you see a lot of this now as part of the Superman character, it really looked at Superman as a Christ figure. Um, You have a lot of kind of Christian symbolism Uh, in this take on Superman. And initially, uh, Siegel and Schuster would have intended Superman to be more of a mixture of that, we talked about last time, that Circus Strongman, their Slam Bradley character, Tarzan. Um, And obviously with them being Jewish, I think it would have been more of a Moses figure, Um, you know, that you see this character being uh, sent off in a, for lack of a better term, a space basket. Uh, and then he's picked up and adopted and and he, you know, grows up, uh, in a foreign land, um, you know, adopted by foreign people. And and ultimately he's going to lead people to the promised land and, and, you know, save everybody. And so you get this, uh, you get this sense now though, that Richard Donner and the writer Tom they are focusing more on Christ-like analogies. And even though sometimes Richard Donner has been quoted as saying, no, 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 really not so much. If you, I mean, I, I go to church, I've read these stories and I know these stories. And if you know anything about the stories of Christ and some of the Christ uh, symbolism, then you totally know, I mean, he's, I think he's making that up. I think he wants to kind of downplay it because maybe he, he got some criticism over it, but you cannot listen to these scenes and not think of it as a Christian symbol. Um, I remember one of the first times watching this movie with my wife, it was actually just a few years ago. She had never seen this movie all the way through and we were sitting down watching it and she <laughs> like turned to me at one point, and she's like, wow, they are really playing up the whole Superman is Jesus thing, aren't they? And uh, and I said, yeah, you know, I, watching it as a kid, I, I never really made that connection, but all of the different language that Jor-El uses about the, the father and the son and, you know, sending him so that he can be the light and, you know, the way uh, Jor-El casts out Zod in the beginning is like God casting out Satan from, from paradise. And um, Kal-El's ship looks like a star as it goes towards earth could be the, like the star of Bethlehem. Um, kal arrival is likened to a virgin birth because, uh, Jonathan and Martha comment that they couldn't have children before. Um, and so he is there, he is their child that just showed up out of the sky. Um, you know, you have later on kal uh, journey into the wilderness and he ends up in the Arctic and then he learns from Jorel, and a whole bunch of time passes where he just kind of disappears. Um, and he skips from being an 18 year old to about a 30 year old, which, kind of mirrors the whole um, biblical accounts of not really having a whole lot of information about Jesus from i think the the last story that they have takes place when he's about 12 years old and then we skip ahead then in time to he's already uh, about 30 And ready to go off on his mission, and Superman is much the same way. We have him as 18, and then he goes off, and he's in the wilderness. He's in the Arctic for a while, and all of a sudden, boom! um, Time has passed, and he is now Superman, and he's off to go do his thing. Um, And like I said before, there's a lot of imagery of uh, being the light, and and the father, and the son, and just the way it's all presented, and the way it's all spoken out in the dialogue. There is really no way of getting around. Um, that being very clearly uh, meant to be kind of a Christ symbol in the original Superman movie. It's very, very heavy there. And they came back, and I think we're very heavy on that um, on occasion in Man of Steel too. Uh, my wife, when we were watching Man of Steel, we chuckled about the scene where he's in the church talking to the one guy, and you see he's struggling with his decision to uh, give himself over to Zod. And he, in the background, you've got the stained glass of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I remember my wife and I were watching it in the movie theater the first time and we kind of looked at each other and we're like, wow, that's just, you, you take what in the original Superman, if you, maybe if you didn't know some of the biblical stories in the original Superman, you wouldn't necessarily make those connections, but this is like bashing you over the head with it, that there's this very prominent, brightly lit Jesus figure on the stained glass over his shoulder as he's talking to some guy in a church, um, you know, and obviously he's flying out of the ship at one point, and puts both of his arms out to the sides like he's, you know, in the in the uh, crucifixion pose and uh, sacrificing himself to go save those that he loves and and all that. So jumping back to Superman 2, which then came out in 1980. Originally, uh, these, like I said, were recorded back to back. They were filmed back to back with Superman the movie. But um, for Richard Lester to get the uh, directing credit, he had to have directed 50% of the movie. So they took, and and as I said before, Richard Donner had already finished 75% of it. So they went back and reshot a lot of the scenes so that Richard Lester would have the director's credit. The original ending to Superman 1 was going to have a cliffhanger where Superman takes the missile that Lex Luthor fires off. He was going to chuck it into space and that was going to be the missile that then broke uh, the Phantom Zone, uh, shattered the Phantom Zone portal and freed Zod and the freeing of Zod from the Phantom Zone was supposed to be the end of Superman 1. The whole spinning the earth backwards uh, was meant to be Superman's way of undoing Lois finding out his secret at the end of Superman 2. So, you know, I I, I don't know where that, I would would be curious to know if, if things had been made differently, if that spinning the earth backwards sequence would have had the same impact it did as when Lois dies and he's spinning the earth backwards to save her. So we might have some other comments on that later, but um, so one of the things about these movies was the Salkinds kind of wanted campy. I, I think they were fans of the Batman TV show from 1966 because some of the original writers that they hired wrote this as a very campy movie. Um, and there was a lot of just kind of ridiculous humor in some of those early scripts. And they, they had some celebrity cameos where they would show up um, and it just seemed very weird, but Richard Donner wanted to make this a serious film. I think, I think it's very much likened to, um, Christopher Nolan wanting to make the Batman movies. Um, you know, definitely not as cartoonish as what, um, the later Batman movies got turned into with George Clooney and Val Kilmer and, and, uh, definitely the Batman 66 TV show. So, um, you know, I, I think Richard Donner can be credited with making sure that these didn't go too campy. I think that's why you get some of the campy, silly humor in Superman 2, and definitely why you get some of the ridiculousness of Superman 3 um, when uh, Richard Donner's influence is completely gone from the movies. Replacing Richard Donner actually made Gene Hackman pretty angry, uh, Margot Kidder as well, but Gene Hackman, and he would re- he refused to return for any reshoots for this movie. So they ended up having to use a body double uh, in any scenes that they had to reshoot with him in it. Then along comes Superman three, and a lot of I think a lot of people looked at the first two Superman movies and then saw this one and were like, "What the is going on here?" The original draft of this included Brainiac, uh, Mr. Mixes Pitlick, Supergirl, but Warner Brothers didn't approve, so they didn't go that route. Uh, Gene Hackman and Margot Kidder were gone after they had kind of bath- badmouthed the producers, the Salkins. And um, so Gene Hackman was not in this movie at all. And Margot Kidder, uh, you know, I think she's in the movie for maybe a grand total of four or five minutes. Um, Donner and Mankiewicz were gone. So they, you know, that's why I think this is a much campier, much stranger movie uh, than what you would have had if Richard Donner um, and Mankiewicz as a writer had been involved in it. A lot of people, this is just very, this is a very strange Superman movie. And I remember as a kid, I loved this movie. I thought it was hilarious. I thought all the, you know, some of the different stuff in it was, was really funny. Um, You know, maybe for a kid, this is a great Superman movie, but I can tell it just doesn't it doesn't wear well over time. Whereas I think Superman 1 and Superman 2, having Richard Donner's serious take on it with a little bit of humor here and there, um, I think that was something that over time it just, it ages better uh, with that. This ended up being really, I think, a Richard Pryor movie that just happened to feature Superman. Um, and the sad part about that is, is that this actually has one of my favorite scenes in a Superman movie in this movie. Um, but it just, the rest of the movie is just weird. Um, I did like the robot scene at the end where they have the supercomputer and and the robots and all that other stuff. Um, I did like that part, but my one of my favorite, absolute favorite scenes, and I think a lot of people's favorite scenes from the Superman movies, which they wish they could just take out of this movie and put somewhere else, um, was when Superman is corrupted by the uh, pseudo kryptonite that's given to him and he turns into bad Superman. And you have the point where bad Superman then goes to this junkyard and is able to separate himself out uh, between Clark and Superman and bad Superman. So you have Clark fighting Superman in the junkyard and that, uh, junkyard fight, I think is probably one of my favorite segments in any of the Superman movies. Um, just great. Love that part of the movie. And I think even people who don't like Superman three, they do like that part. So that was always kind of a, a, a big favorite of mine. This movie was actually also nominated for two Razzie awards for Richard Pryor, um, as a supporting actor, although I really think it was kind of a Richard Pryor movie that supported, that had Superman as a supporting actor, and the musical score. Christopher Reeve was supposed to cameo in Supergirl in 1984, but he was unavailable, so didn't make it, and the Supergirl movie did not do well uh, either. And then we kind of jump ahead to Superman for The Quest for More Money, uh, or as it was really called, The Quest for Peace. But I keep calling it The Quest for More Money because that just is what it feels like which came out in 1987. Uh, we talked about this movie a little bit last year. It was produced by Canon films. They had a one picture deal that they had purchased from the Solkines, Christopher Reeve was pretty much promised whatever he wanted. Uh, You know, The story could be his, you do this whatever way you want. And Christopher Reeve really wanted to do kind of a social aspect to it and and talk about the nuclear disarmament and all that. Um, The problem was once they got in and started making this movie, Cannon ran out out of money. And it was around about the time that Cannon was starting to implode uh, in on itself. They had overextended themselves. They were making a ridiculous amount of movies. They just didn't have the money anymore. They were pinching pennies at every corner. Um, I think both Christopher Reeve and John Cryer had commented at different points that Canon released an unfinished film. Uh, There were other deleted scenes that did not make it into the movie that would be, I think, interesting had they made it into the movie and might have made the story a little bit better. There was a first nuclear man before the second uh, nuclear man that spent more time in the movie, played by Clive Mantle, the first nuclear man. There was a fight scene with Superman early on where that nuclear man is destroyed. And then Lex Luthor realizes, no, you know what? I need more power to make this clone of Superman. I need to actually shoot it into the sun. So I make sure I have a a nuclear man that can withstand a fight with the Man of Steel. Um, This is just a bad movie. A lot of stuff is reused. I remember as a kid, I liked this movie. I thought it was cool. Nuclear Man was cool. Uh, rewatching it again as an adult, there's not a whole lot that's cool about it. And I totally get right. Christopher Reeve was embarrassed by this and, and angry about this. It's just not a good movie. Uh, there's a lot of stuff reused. You have scenes of Superman flying that get reused to the point where it feels like those scenes in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they're charging over the hill and they just keep reusing the same, uh, bit, the same uh, shot that they've filmed over and over again to show somebody charging over the hill. Um, so a bit like that, uh, Superman having these, these ridiculous powers, like he can fix the Great Wall of China just by pointing at it. Um, I think it was pointing or looking at it, however that ended up working. I, no, he, I think he looked at it. It was the like super fixing vision and um, just stupid stuff. But that's kind of, if you've heard us talk about canon films and you know anything about the canon films in the 80s, that kind of is par for the course with canon films to, um, to do something and just make it, just just, like throw everything against the wall and whatever just happens to stick. And, And even if it doesn't stick, they'll pick it up off the ground and like shove it into the wall until it does stick. And then they'll go film it. So that was not a good way. Uh, and, and really disappointing, too, I'm, I'm sure, for Christopher Reeve for that to be the way that he finishes his uh, time as Superman. Now, originally, there was going to be, so there's some uh, unproduced movies that didn't quite make it, um, that were meant to be made, like in the early, late 80s, early 90s. And one was actually supposed to bring back Christopher Reeve. But it didn't end up happening. Uh, Superman 5, they were going to call this one Superman Reborn. And it was supposed to come out, uh, I think, either late 80s, very early 90s. And the idea was uh, there was the comic book writer, Carrie Bates, had said that Superman 5 would have kind of done what Superman Returns did and jumped back and said, look, 3 and 4 never happened. We're going to go back to the continuity established by Superman and Superman 2. This movie would be, I think they were like quoted at one point as saying, this is going to be a balls-to-the-wall uh, science fiction movie featuring Superman, and it was going to have Superman versus Brainiac, which I've always thought would be a great character to bring into the movies, um, but they just never have up to this point. Uh, Carey said he wrote it while he was working on the Salkine Superboy series, which they had from 1988 uh, to about 1992. And uh, so in this story, Brainiac shrinks Metropolis, he shows up, shrinks Metropolis and adds it to his collection of bottled cities. But he discovers that, oh, there's this super-powered being that's in Metropolis. I want to go check this out. So Brainiac goes in to confront Superman. They end up fighting, and Superman dies. But before being completely destroyed, Superman's atoms are transported to the next bottled city over, which happens to be the bottled city of Kandor. If you know anything about the Superman stories, the bottled city of Kandor is a city from Krypton that was stolen by Brainiac as he collects these cities from uh, all over the universe. And so Superman has the opportunity to interact with Kryptonians, and uh, he doesn't have his powers, but uh, he is kind of learning more about his Kryptonian heritage, and ultimately he has the opportunity to get his powers back and then has this final showdown with Brainiac in the end. They did put this one on the back burner while the Salkinds were working on a Christopher Columbus movie. And then when that finished in 1992, Warner Brothers said, you know what? No, we are developing a TV series that's going to be kind of like a romantic comedy type thing. Um, We are not going to continue on with this Superman 5 movie idea. So put that away. We're not doing it. Uh, And ultimately, that was going to be Lois and Clark, uh, the TV series. And then Christopher Reeve was paralyzed in 95. So that obviously ended any opportunity. He would have had to come back and play Superman as uh, the, the primary actor. A couple of other ones that show up in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s. There was the Superman Lives project uh, that started in around 1998. Kevin Smith was one of the original writers for it. Uh, Originally, they were looking at Ben Affleck, ironically, um, to play Superman. And then Tim Burton came in to direct, and then Nicolas Cage was going to be Superman. And if you've seen any of these pictures that they've shown of Nick Cage in the super suit, this thing was going to be ridiculous. Um, The producers didn't want Superman to fly. They didn't want him to really have any of his powers. Um, And they really, they were just kind of throwing in stuff. I uh, I had a quote that I pulled from somewhere that somebody said, basically it was a toy show um, that they were throwing in all kinds of stuff just so that there would be things that they could merchandise and sell toys for So obviously, that's not the way that you want to make a good movie if you just a giant toy commercial. So, um, that one went for a few years. It kind of morphed into, um, it, it kind of died and, and there's a documentary that's out now called the death of Superman lives, which I still have not had a chance to see yet, but I would love to see it just to kind of see the craziness of, of what this might've been. And then in about 01 uh, 2001, 2002, you had the first incarnation of a possible Superman versus Batman, uh, movie. And in this story, I think I've got the gist of the the story here. Um, Superman and Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent are friends. Um, you know, Clark Kent and some of this, the story aspects in this are a little strange too. Bruce Wayne has been retired from crime fighting for a while now. Um, Clark Kent is trying to kind of get his life back together after divorcing Lois Lane and Bruce Wayne gets married. Clark is the best man at his wedding. And then ultimately Bruce Wayne's wife is killed by the Joker and he blames Superman for not stopping her death. Um, Then they start to fight and ultimately discover that Lex Luthor is responsible for the plot to have Batman and Superman kill each other. So you've got some aspects that are similar to the Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice movie that would come out uh, about 15, 16 years later. Then finally, we jump forward. There were a couple of other ones too. I think there was a Superman... um, What did they call that one? It was the Superman flyby uh, was one of the other options. And that kind of got, I think that was one of the other ones that was kind of morphed into um, the ideas for Superman Lives and Superman versus Batman. Um, The Superman flyby one was going to be, um, let's see, it was... Well, I know that Brian Singer, who did Superman Returns, as he was working on uh, developing an idea while making X-Men 2, uh, X-Men United, X2, X-Men United, um, he was working on an idea for what would become Superman Returns. And there was supposed to be a new movie in 2006 called Superman Flyby, or at least that was the name of the, uh, the working title for it. And it was going to be directed by McG and written by J.J. Abrams. Uh, and they were going to start production on that in 2004. And I believe pre-production had actually started, but then McG dropped out in 2004 and that hey, that whole thing kind of fell apart. So then Brian Singer came in in 2006 and um, – well, it came in in about 2004 and started making his movie that would be Superman Returns, which comes out in 2006 – um and that was one where a lot of people when that movie came out a lot of people were like oh hey we actually get to see superman doing some supery things not just um you know uh, not just fighting campy kryptonian villains or throwing a missile around or stopping an earthquake or we actually get to see how strong superman can be um and i i like superman returns i know a lot of people are like well he's he's such a mopey superman and then he's not You know, Lois Lane is married to somebody or going to be married to somebody else. And she's got a kid. And wait a minute, Superman's a dad and and Superman's a deadbeat dad. And uh, so there was a lot of stuff that people didn't like about it. I actually like Superman Returns and I like what they were trying to do with it. My biggest pet peeve with Superman Returns, I don't mind him having a super kid. Um, I, I thought that there could be some interesting stuff that they could do that with that down the road. I know that in terms of writers and stories, it kind of paints them into a bit of a corner But one of the things that I really did not like about uh, Superman Returns was the character of Lex Luthor. And I, you know, for all of his other work, I have always really liked Kevin Spacey as an actor. I know there's been some controversy around him lately, but as an actor, looking at his work, I've always liked Kevin Spacey and, and the roles that he plays. Now, the thing I didn't like, and I don't know, I don't think this is Kevin Spacey's fault. I think this would be the writer's fault. I just thought it was too much of the Gene Hackman, Lex Luthor. Like, I know that we are trying to pay tribute to Richard Donner's movies and and all that. And that's fine. And the aesthetic of of what Clark looks like and how he acts. And I thought Brandon Ralph did a great job of that. Um, Kate Bosworth was okay as Lois Lane. uh, But I thought Brandon Ralph did a great job of uh, playing Superman. Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, when I think of of Kevin Spacey, I think of like, the creepy serial killer from Seven. And I think that there's a lot that he could do with that role if given the freedom to do it. And it just didn't feel to me like he was given the freedom to do a whole lot with that role because he was lifting, I mean, they were lifting lines directly from the original Superman movie. And I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, come on, we, you have an opportunity. You've got this actor that could really do something great with this. And you're just feeding him lines from a movie that came out you know, 20 years ago. Um, so I, that was the one part I, I think is the character of Lex Luthor in Superman Returns is the one part that I do not like about that movie. Otherwise, I'm fine with with pretty much the rest of it. Then in 2009, there was supposed to be a Superman Returns sequel. Um, Everybody would return. Brandon Routh, Kevin Spacey, Kate Bosworth, Brian Singer would return to direct. Um, It would have possibly featured Brainiac, maybe some other Kryptonians or Bizarro. The um, kind of the Kryptonian island, uh, the Kryptonite island that uh, Superman had pushed out into space at the end of uh, Superman Returns would have featured heavily as a plot point. Um, but production kept getting pushed back and pushed back and ultimately, uh, Warner brothers decided to reboot with Zack Snyder and Henry Cavill. I know that Brian Singer was upset about this and I remember being upset at the time too. I'm like, yes, another Superman movie, Brandon Routh was great. Let's do this. Let's get going. But apparently it didn't make enough money. Um, I think it made something like, oh, did it make 300 million or did it make, and I know, I mean, that's. If we're looking at now going, well, movies make a billion now. Yes, but back then, I mean, 300 million was still a lot of money, but I think worldwide they were looking for it to make something like 500 million or 600 million, and it didn't. And so even though 300 million is... Crazy amounts of money. Um, they just decided it wasn't successful enough, and I know Brian Singer has been quoted as saying that you know if if that's not successful, then I don't know what is um, to make that much money. But it just it wasn't successful enough for Warner Brothers, so they decided that they were not going to continue on with him as the director and with Brandon Ralph as their Superman. So then along comes Man of Steel in 2013, and we have the series of movies that we have now. The starting of the the DC. Um, the DC universe, the film universe. And so we've got Man of Steel that comes out in 2013. We have Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice in 2016 and Justice League in 2017. Since these movies are so new, I'm not really going to go into a lot of it, but I will just say that Man of Steel is probably one of my favorite Superman movies. I know a lot of people do not like Man of Steel. They don't like the take uh, on Superman, but I, I'm I'm a big fan. I really like that movie. I liked the characterization of Clark Kent. I liked the uh, very superpowered battles that happened in that movie between him and the Kryptonians. Uh, it took the idea of Superman 2 and just kicked it up several notches and uh, loved Michael Shannon as Zod. I thought that was great. Um, you know, Amy Adams, I thought was a great Lois Lane. I just liked pretty much everything about this movie. Um, You know, some of the only parts that, that other people hesitate with too, was the Jonathan Kent, the Kevin Costner parts. And some of those I really, really liked. And some of them was like, "Mm, I don't know. Typically Jonathan Kent wouldn't condone killing people to keep his son secret. And that seems to be what he's saying when he says, you know, just let them die. Should I have let them die on the bus? Maybe. I don't know. Um, I'm still a little uneasy about that. So, but, but we'll leave that there. Uh there is supposedly a Man of Steel 2 coming. Now I wish they would have done a Man of Steel 2 before doing Batman versus Superman. I've said that before. Not a whole lot is known yet about Man of Steel 2 most likely coming out sometime around the year 2020. And now with where they've got the Superman character at the end of Justice League, I think his mannerisms and his some of the lightheartedness. And I think people will be more open to that. So I really hope that there is a Man of Steel 2 coming. I think Henry Cavill has one more movie on his contract. So um, I I would assume that's going to be Man of Steel 2, but we'll see but I would have loved to have seen a straight up man of steel sequel as opposed to a Batman versus Superman. I remember seeing that video come out of, I think it was uh, San Diego comic con when they first announced Batman versus Superman. And I remember seeing the video that had leaked where people are just screaming and cheering and yes, yes. And I'm sitting there going, Oh man. I mean, it might be cool, but I just want a man of steel sequel. Why do I don't, we don't need to throw a whole bunch of people, in here and muddy the waters. And can we just get more? I, I just want more of the Superman story. Um, and I don't want to have to jumble it all up by introducing a whole bunch of other characters. So Batman versus Superman, I mean, not the greatest movie in the world, but I still enjoy watching it. Um, justice league. I think I like justice league more than a lot of other people do, but, um, at one point in time, I think we were talking even here on the show. Maybe when we were talking about Wonder Woman, and I still rank Man of Steel as probably my favorite of the uh, DC EU movies so far, even higher than Wonder Woman. Um, I, I just really like Man of Steel, and, and Superman's Superman's my boy. So I, I got to stick up for uh, got to stick up for my Man of Steel there. So I've done some other top fives when we talked about the comic book, uh, storylines. So I tried to rank out my top five Superman movies and I'm doing this, even including all the serials, even though they didn't make it onto my list, uh, and the older movies, but my top five Superman films, I'm going to list them as justice league being number five. Uh, Superman returns is number four. Superman two is number three. Uh number two is Man of Steel, and number one obviously is Superman the movie from 1978. And I struggled a bit with how I ranked Superman 2 and Man of Steel because I love Man of Steel as a movie. I, you know, I I really, really like that movie, and I like the characterization of Superman and Zod and and some of the things that they did differently with that. And Superman 2, I, I wanted to rank that one as number two on my list but I went on a back and forth through that. And, and one of the reasons that I think I like Superman two so much is because my dad really liked Superman two. And I remember watching that with him uh, regularly as a kid. And so it, it's, it's way up there, but I think in terms of the quality of the movie, uh man of steel, maybe just inches out just a little bit. All right. If we're transitioning now, I was going to do like a, the uh, super friends that meanwhile, <laughs> um, so transitioning now, meanwhile, in the land of television, uh, and transitioning from the uh, big screen to the small screen. And, uh, I, I definitely will go through this kind of quickly because there's a lot of stuff here. So, um, uh, we have the adventures of Superman from 1952 to 1958. Um, starting off with George Reeves, uh, Phyllis Coates played Lois Lane in season one. And then Noel Neal took over seasons two through six. Um, had an opportunity one time to go down to Metropolis, Illinois, when they were having one of their celebrations. I know, uh, Noel Neal was going to be there and just, just haven't been able to do that. And, uh, you know, probably missed my opportunity, uh, to do that. I know, um, you know, a lot of the older Superman actors are getting up there, so they're only going to be featured in those places. Um, you know, just a, a few more times before they stop coming to those or they're no longer around. Um, then we have the Superboy series. that came out in 1988, uh, from 1988 to 1992. started with John Hames Newton in season one, and then they switched to Gerard Christopher as Superman Clark or Superboy Clark Kent in seasons two through four, and Stacey Hayduk as uh, Lana Lang. In that series. And this and the 1988 animated series matched up with the 50th anniversary of Superman 30 years ago. Uh, Clark is attending the Siegel School of Journalism at Schuster University in Schusterville, Florida. So if you didn't think there were enough places that we could throw in those names to uh, pay homage to the creators of Superman, uh, Siegel School of Journalism, Schuster University, Schusterville, Florida. Uh, in season one of the show, we had kind of your normal down-to-earth human criminals, uh, down-to-earth kind of problems. We got the origin of Lex Luthor and why he hates Superboy so much. Even though Superboy saved him from a lab, uh, there was an explosion that caused him to become bald. Season two, we started to get into more of like the Lex, Metallo, Bizarro, Mixes Pitlick, those kind of characters. Um, and that's kind of a common theme along, along a lot of the Superman shows as they start off I guess when they're not sure if the show's going to get going, they don't have much of a budget. So they start with human villains and then they kind of move forward. Cause I know Lois and Clark uh, did that as well. Um, and Smallville did that too, as it went along seasons three and four kind of became a little bit more X files ish. Uh, they kind of left the university and Clark and Lana interned at the Bureau for extra normal matters. Um, and it became, uh, you know, uh, Clark was kind of, they were working on, um, exploring the idea that there are aliens on earth, but Clark also kind of keeping tabs on this cause he knows he's an alien and they don't, he doesn't want to be found. Um, and then after this, after Superboy ends, they, the Solkines. that was kind of the end of their time with the Superman rights because Warner brothers fought to get those back. And, uh, they originally were going to have some kind of TV movies to wrap everything up with the Superboy story, but they did not. And so they were after the, uh, final fourth season of Superboy, uh, which at that point had been renamed the adventures of Superboy. They had then to, they had to wrap it up and they had to change a bit of the finale there so that it, um, you know, it didn't rely on them needing to finish the story in TV movies. Then we switch over. And in the fall of 1993, we have Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. And this is, we had Dean Kane as Clark Kent, Superman, Terry Hatcher as Lois Lane, John Shea as Lex Luthor. And this is where I spent a lot of my time, um, recording things on VHS and getting things ready for, uh, watching. And, um, I, I spent a lot of time watching this show. I mean, this was, uh, this was to use the term, this was appointment television in my house. Um, and I didn't really care what anybody else wanted to watch. I was going to be watching, uh, Lois and Clark. So this was kind of my first time really being super, super invested, pun intended, uh, in a TV show, uh, based on Superman. So I watched this thing every single episode, every night that it came on, I recorded everything on VHS. Um, so this was, you know, this all the time, all the time was watching this one. Um, so I tried to break down, I tried to torture myself and break down what my, uh, favorite episodes were of this show. Um, some of the things I liked about this show is the, the idea that um, Superman is the disguise and that Clark is the main character. And I know some people have kind of gone back and forth over this uh, over the years and they've done, sometimes they've done the same with Batman but the thing that I think is always pretty interesting is when you have the stories and and John Byrne did this in the comics when he rebooted everything in 1986 was the idea that Superman in the past was always the primary uh, character and Clark Kent was always the disguise but then they reversed it. And I think that really humanized Superman quite a bit. And and that's what I think really kept him going and and made him relevant and and more interesting was to say, well, Clark Kent is the actual identity and Superman just happens to be the costume that he puts on when he wants to go save people. And uh, I know in Smallville, it got even more complicated when you were kind of like, well, we've got this Clark Kent that everybody knows and that his friends know, and that's the actual uh, real person. And then there's a caric- caricature of Clark Kent that wears the glasses and is the, you know, the, the journalist. And then there's also Superman or the red, blue blur or whatever you want to call him at that point in time. Uh, so there were almost like three identities there, but um, you know, that's one of the things I liked about Lois and Clark was really focusing on the relationship between Clark and Lois and then having Superman show up uh, from time to time, obviously with budgets and things like that. You you couldn't have Superman there all the time doing all of his super-y things. Um, But just, I really enjoyed the show. Obviously as it wore on in its final, you know, the fourth season was meh um, for lack of a better term, but uh, definitely the first, uh, the first three seasons, you know, I was, I was right there. I was enjoying all of it. Um, Things just got a little weird once they got to that fourth season. And so I tried to sit down and I tried to figure out what some of my favorite episodes were from this. And I went by season at first and I was like, well, okay, well, the pilot, the pilots always a good one. I think I vote for the pilot in every show. And then there were some of the episodes like strange visitor from another planet, the uh, green, green glow of home. When he starts to learn more about his Kryptonian heritage. Uh, There was the, I've got a crush on you where you had the um, like the pyromaniac guys um, and you had Clark and Lois had to go undercover in kind of this like speakeasy type thing. Uh, you had Fly Hard, where they had uh, Clark was stuck in the Daily Planet with Lex and Perry and Jimmy, and they had to try to, uh, you know, he had to try to save everybody while not revealing his powers to anybody. At the end of season one, you had the House of Luther, where you it gets revealed that Lex Luther is kind of a villain, and uh, he ends up leaping off the the balcony of his uh, penthouse uh, apartment up there at the very top of his building. Uh, just as he and Lois were, were about to get married too. So that's always awkward. Uh, season two, then you introduced Intergang, which I was, thought was kind of a, a fun, uh, foil to Superman is that, yes, you've got these people that are just normal human beings, but, um, you know, they are part of this, they are part of this organization that, you know, you're not going to have an individual human criminal do anything against Superman, but as part of this organization, that's Superman, that's something Superman's going to struggle fighting against, um, then you had the episode of Bolt from the Blue, where Superman ends up accidentally giving his powers to someone else. Uh, you had the Phoenix, where Lex Luthor comes back. You have uh, Tempest, the stories with Tempest. I always thought those were kind of fun, especially the first few. Um, I'm a sucker for time travel and for alternate realities and things like that. So uh, when the time travel aspect and alternate realities started popping up, then I was, I, I was good to go. I'm, I'm all good with that. Uh, you've got the, and the answer is... Uh, episode where you have uh, Clark proposing to Lois finally. Um, you have the one, oh, some of the other episodes like in season two, the individual responsibility episode. Uh, you had that whole stretch of time where Clark uh, was kind of um, flirting with this government agent, uh, and then she ends up dying in a, in a bomb blast. And she uh, finds out just as she dies that Clark is Superman Uh, season three. We have that we have a lot to talk about because it's revealed that Lois knew that Clark was Superman towards the end of season two. And then ultimately uh, we have Ultra Woman, where Lois ends up getting Superman's powers, and then she then realizes how difficult life is for Clark, so she proposes to him at the end of that episode. Uh, We have Never on a Sunday, which uh, I thought was a great example of Superman being affected by magic. We have Baron Sunday, and he was um, causing people to see their worst nightmares or uh, memories that uh, caused them to either you know, have a heart attack and die or, um, the bus driver, uh, is, is seeing himself back in, I think Vietnam and he almost crashes his bus and has a heart attack cause he's so scared. Um, you had Tempest come back again where there's an alternate reality and Tempest anyone you have, uh, I now pronounce you, which is when we think that, um, Clark and Lois are going to get married, but we won't talk too much about that because that, um, yeah, the, the whole thing with the clones and the frogs and the, Mm-hmm. Um, which incidentally they ended up delaying. They, they kind of the comics uh, and the TV show kind of coordinated with each other to delay it so that they could marry uh, Lois and Clark at the TV show and have the marriage uh, in the comics come out at the same time. So whatever. Uh, then we have through a glass darkly and big girls don't fly at the end of season three, which is when other Kryptonians show up and they uh, say, you know, they tell Clark that, well, look, you, you were promised in marriage to this other Kryptonian royalty at birth. And so, sorry, but you need to leave and come with us. So you can't marry Lois. You got to go away. Uh, Thought that was great because that was, as far as I know, that's the first time we have like the the black and silver, I think it was kind of a black and metallic blue uh, suit show up in a live action Superman, um, kind of harkening back to the the death and return of Superman storyline. And then in season four, you've got the Lord of the flies and the battleground earth. Those are kind of the only ones I list as favorites from season four. uh, Those first couple episodes where you're dealing with Clark coming back to earth and dealing with the Kryptonian who's taken over Smallville to kind of force him to give up his claim to the throne of Krypton. um, The Lord nor character. And, uh, so those are really the only two, as I looked a little bit further into season four, I was like, oh, there's not a whole lot here that I think I would probably list as a favorite and, and just disappointing the way that the series ended. Um, originally they were under the understanding that they would have a fifth season and it didn't happen. Like I think they, ABC, I think it was, um, changed their mind at the last minute and just said, nope, nope, you're done. And so they have a storyline where a baby is dropped off at the end of the, the season finale there. A uh, baby is dropped off in a basket with a Superman symbol on a piece of paper there and says, you know, this baby is yours. After uh, Clark and Lois found out they couldn't have children themselves. And that's where it ended. And people are like, wait, what? Well, who's the baby? And, and, what and there was never any explanation for it. I believe I read somewhere that years later, one of the writers said, well, actually, that's a Kryptonian. It's a royal Kryptonian baby that was dropped off so that Clark and Lois uh, would be able to raise it. And they would have their baby, but it was also a way to hide the baby from assassins that were trying to to kill the baby. So I'm like, okay, well, that might have been kind of an interesting storyline if they had been given a season five to deal with that. But alas, they never were. So, so in the tradition of the top fives that I've been doing in these last two episodes, here's my top five Lois and Clark episodes. Feel free to disagree, and if you do, please let me know, 30podcast at gmail.com. Call into the voicemail line, go to 30podcast.com. If you want to argue with me on this, that's totally fine. Uh, Number five, Never on a Sunday. As I said, that was uh, the 12th episode of season three. As I said, I I liked how that uh, showed uh, Superman's vulnerability to magic. And uh, and and just thought it was very clever that his, the thing that terrified him the most, that ultimately what he found out was it wasn't that he was being buried alive, but that he was being put in the rocket ship and being sent off to earth and that his um, memories were not of death, but actually of life. And that's how he was able to turn things around and, and fight against Baron Sunday at the end of it, even though Baron Sunday turned himself into a snake and escaped. Uh, number four, big girls don't fly is the, uh, final episode of season three. And that's the one where Clark has to leave Lois and go off with the other Kryptonians. And I will say that I will chalk it up to being a high school kid at the time. And there might've been some dust in my eyes while watching that episode. Uh, That's all I'm going to say and shut up. Okay. Um, number three on my list is The Green, Green Glow of Home. I liked those episodes where you have the character of Trask who's trying to uncover this alien threat that he believes and you discover Kryptonite and, and Superman encounters Kryptonite for the first time in this. Um, just really like those episodes kind of laying down the backstory of where he's from and him discovering that he's Kryptonian and discovering that he's got this weakness and and that he's an alien and, and how he's kind of uh, dealing with that. Number two, Tempest Fugitive. Uh, I really liked the, like I said, I like time travel stuff. This was the 18th episode of season two, and this is where Tempest goes back in time to try to kill baby Superman. And so you're jumping through to different parts in time and you're seeing uh, the history of Superman and he gets to interact with his parents as they are younger. Um, and uh, just, just really like that story. And, and the whole, you know, it's a little, little weird and little campy to include HG Wells as the time traveler there, but um, I'm also an HG Wells fan. So I'm okay with that too. And then finally, number one is the pilot. Um, just really like the first episode of the show, the whole idea of, you know, the different costumes, he's trying it out for the first time. He's trying to figure out what it means to be Superman and to be Clark Kent and uh, meeting up with Lois for the first time. And, and just, you just really enjoyed uh, the pilot of it. I think pilots always make it into like my top five for most shows. All right. Smallville we're going to run through Smallville really fast because there's 10 seasons and I've already been talking for an hour. So, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to jump through this one a little quickly, but Smallville is probably where I spent a good portion of my Superman time, uh, in the, um, well that, that was the early two thousands. Um, so when Smallville came around, I was really excited. I mean, I was this, I was in college at this point and I remember a friend of mine, he was a Superman fan too. So, um, when it first came on, I think that was the, uh, was it a, was a Tuesday night? might've been a Tuesday night originally, or Tuesday or Wednesday night. And, um, that was when they had the wings special at Buffalo Wild Wings. And so we would make sure that we got to our Buffalo Wild Wings in our college town, that we got our wings and that we got home in time to be able to watch uh, Smallville when it came on. And so that was kind of our, our regular thing there. And, uh really enjoyed this show. Just really enjoyed it. Now, some seasons, a little bit more stinkers than others, not necessarily a fan of the whole, like Lana is a witch thing and vampire sorority girls and, and weird stuff like that. I mean, the weird CW stuff like that, but, uh, when they would do the freak of the week stuff, that was always kind of fun. Um, the whole idea that people were given powers based on the media rocks. That was kind of an interesting uh, take on it too. So then you could have these people who didn't have crazy, ridiculous powers, but because somehow they're enhanced by kryptonite, which then hurts Clark, um, you know, that, that, that gives, it takes a little bit more effort for Clark to have to deal with this stuff and to be a Superman who doesn't fully have his powers yet. um, You know, obviously that's, that adds a little bit of an extra challenge to the whole thing. So, uh, you know, really enjoyed the show, enjoyed all the actors, you know, Tom Welling and, um, Kristen Crook and, um, uh, the Alison Mack was sad to hear about the stuff that's been happening with her and that she was just arrested the other day for being part of this, you know, sex cult thing and that she was the second in command. And so that part's all sad, but, um, you know, really enjoyed these characters in the show. And, uh, Sam Jones, the third as Pete Ross and, um, Michael Rosenbaum is Lex. Luth- Michael Rosenbaum is one of the best Lex Luthers, best live-action uh, Lex Luthers, I think, ever. And I think one of the things about these guys being so much in- embodying these roles is that they just had so much time to develop these roles. You know, Gene Hackman had you know two, three movies, um, maybe two, if you add up all the time that he's in Superman two and. Superman 4, but, um, you know, you have these other Lex Luthers or these other Superman that just have a couple hours to be able to do this. Whereas in a show like this, you've got years to develop this character. And so I think that's why, um, a lot of the stuff they did in Smallville with the development of the Superman character is really stuck in my mind as yes, that's a, a big piece of what Superman is to me. So, I liked all the episodes where he's learning about and developing his new powers. Um, this one did not make it into my top five, but it's definitely one that I really enjoy it was uh, heat, the second episode of season two when he realizes that when he thinks about Lana in a certain way, uh, he has developed heat vision. And uh, so I just thought it was funny some of the ways that he develops his powers. We never really see that in the comics. It's like well, he knows he's got heat vision. he It didn't just like pop up on him one day or, um, but just how in some of the awkward teenage situations that Superman starts to develop some of these different powers and just kind of the the funny nature of the whole heat vision thing and how it's brought on and, and, uh, kind of when his dad figures out how Superman, how Clark, uh, ignites his heat vision, um, some of the others, it was always fun when we introduced red kryptonite and, and Clark went a little crazy. Uh, so you had the red episode in season two. Um, you started to have the learning more about Krypton and about the Kryptonian heritage and the, um, the Kawachi. I think it was the Kawachi caves, um, that had the Kryptonian symbols. So you've also got the idea that Kryptonians had visited earth before, uh, Clark was sent there. Um, One of my favorite episodes, and this definitely shows up, and I think this is probably one of my favorites of all time, was the Rosetta episode in season two, where Christopher Reeve is the scientist that is there to tell Clark all about his Kryptonian heritage. And I just thought that was great, to have Christopher Reeve be the one that passes on that knowledge to the new Superman. Um, Just love that. Uh, Loved Michael McKean as Perry White in season three. Um, And then just kind of the back and forth of adding some more of the uh, alien characters to it and having these bigger, uh, villains come about and then starting to introduce the justice league characters. Um, you know, you had run in season four that was, uh, introducing the flash. You had, uh, Aqua in season five, that was Aquaman. You had cyborg in season five. Um, then you had, um, well, you had the justice episode. So you've got, you know, uh, Cyborg, and you've got Flash, and you've got Green Arrow, and uh, all those guys being put together in season six. Um, when you had some of the other, uh, some of the other kind of uh, Phantom Zone characters too, and uh, the season seven, then you're introducing Bizarro. You've got Supergirl, um, uh, Wrath. In season seven, was just funny because Lana got powers, and so what's the first thing that Clark and Lana do when they get powers? What they've always wanted to do. And, uh, I remember Chloe, I think she's sitting in the coffee shop at the time and it's like, there's an earthquake in Smallville. Why would there be an earthquake in the middle of Kansas? Okay. If you've seen the episode, you know, I I won't go into detail. Uh, let's just say that Clark and and Lana were uh, enjoying each other's company, um, in ways that they had not been able to before because Clark thought he might kill her. Um, And then at the end of that season, you had Arctic where Lex finds out that Clark uh, is an alien, has these powers, and they uh, have a showdown where supposedly uh, Lex dies. Then you get into season eight where the show really started to change and I think grew up a little bit from its uh, initial kind of CW teen show um, roots. And season eight is when you introduce the idea of Doomsday with Davis Bloom and things took a bit of a darker turn. Uh, you had the episode of Legion, which introduced the Legion of superheroes, which I thought was great. Um, season nine, then you bring in the, uh, people of Kandor and you bring in the Zod clone and the Kryptonian clones. You had the episode that was, um, you had Brian Austin Green play Metallo, which I love that episode or those few episodes where he showed up. Uh, you had the absolute justice episodes where you get the justice society of America show up, um. And then the showdown at the end of season nine uh, where Clark ends up falling off the building and he's been stabbed with the, uh, I think it was the blue kryptonite dagger. And so he's not supposed to have his powers. So... He's going to die. And that's where they left it as the cliffhanger. And then season 10, you started to introduce the idea of dark side and apocalypse coming and all those other characters. And you had some of the great episodes, uh, like Icarus, you had the episode where, um, Hawkman dies and they go to bury him in Egypt. You had fortune, which I always thought was just a fun episode of all the the characters just kind of having fun at, um, it's almost like Lois and Clark's, um, bachelor party, And then finale was a lot of fun. You finally get to see him fly, you see him fight this dark side character. Um, you know, he does a whole lot of supery things and then kind of a recap of the entire series at that point. So a lot of fun with that. Um, The, my top five for Smallville uh, would be number five would be the Metallo episode uh, season nine, episode two Um, loved Brian Austin Green as that character. And um, just thought that that was, I I thought that was a great take on Metallo and and a good way to to handle that character. Number four on my list would be the finale, um, the 21st and 22nd episodes of season 10, and I just loved how they wrapped everything up. Um, I thought it was interesting how they decided to jump seven years into the future. The only thing I didn't like about that is that is seven years in the future. Clark and Lois are still not married. No, give me a break. They would have done something at that point to get themselves married. That part I didn't like, but everything else was totally fine. Lex is back and, and he's elected uh, president and all that. Uh, number three on this one would be the pilot the, obviously the first episode of season one, number two, I cheated and I decided to lump together the 11th episodes of season six, eight, and nine, because those are justice from season six, uh, Legion from season eight and absolute justice from season nine. I love the episodes where they bring in other characters from other teams or they brought in other superheroes. So I want to kind of lump these in together. And I realized that all of these are the 11th episode episode of each of their seasons. So too bad. I cheated. Um, Those are all three of those are number two. And then finally, number one is Rosetta. As I said before, it's the 17th episode of season two. I just loved that Christopher Reeve was the one to pass on all this knowledge to Clark and tell him about his Kryptonian heritage. Um, And, and just thought that was, you know, his whole character of Virgil Swan, sharing that information with him um, and passing the torch as it were. Um, Just love that. And and just thought that was a great episode. All right. We're going to wrap this up by talking about the last few things I've got on my little list here. Um, in terms of other TV series, you know, Supergirl, watched Supergirl for a little bit. Haven't really watched it much lately, um, but I did like uh, the Tyler Hecklin, I think is how you say his name, his take on Superman in the Supergirl series. If they wanted to make a series in which uh, he is Superman all the time and Clark Kent, I would be totally fine with that. That would be awesome. Uh, please do it right now. Um, I believe there's also a Metropolis series that is in production, or they're at least um, thinking about it, that it would be a little bit like a Lois and Clark. Um, I, For some reason, I think I heard that it would be like a Lois and Lex Luthor are kind of like X-Files-ish type characters, almost like a Mulder and Scully. Um, and so I, that's a bit of a different take, but... I, if they decide to do it, I'd be totally fine with that. But uh, Tyler Hecklin, I, I think he did a great job in Supergirl, so feel free to bring him back anytime you want. Um, the Krypton series has started. I've heard good things about it. I have not had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm kind of excited to, to get caught up on that as soon as I'm able to um, find that streaming somewhere. I may wait until the, the end of the season just so I can do it all at once, but uh, I'm kind of excited to see that. Didn't really talk a whole lot about the animated stuff. Uh, We had the DC animation, you had Superman Doomsday, you had Justice League New Frontier. All-Star Superman is a great adaptation of that uh, storyline in the comics. Um, A lot of those, I really like the DC animation stuff. I I think DC animation for years, uh, they were were definitely um, beating Marvel in that sense, because a lot of the Marvel animated stuff I'm not so much a fan of, but um, DC was just putting out some great stuff. The animated TV stuff, I've talked a little bit about it. Super Friends, grew up on Super Friends, had the Super Friends toys as a kid. Um, the 1988 Ruby Spears Superman that came out around the same time as the uh, the Superboy TV show. That one was great. Superman, the animated series, outstanding. Loved it. Uh, connected with the Batman animated series universe from 96 to 2000. Um, from 2001 to 06, you had Justice League United. Um, or is that Unlimited. I think it was unlimited. Yeah, it was JLU. I think the U was unlimited. Um, From 06 to 08, you had the Legion of Superheroes cartoon. And from 2011 to 2013, you had Young Justice. I believe I've heard Young Justice might be coming back too. So that might jump ahead and, and have another season in 2018. Uh, Some other different uh, media that Superman has shown up in is the Superman Doomsday and Beyond book, The Life and Death of Superman by Roger Stern. That's a great book. There's also a really good audio book that goes along with that kind of audio dramatization. It's Superman by, I think his name was Tom Dehaven in 2005. That was another really good one. I thought that it was a very different take on almost kind of like a Smallville type story, um, but set in the, like the 1930s, 1940s, uh, that era. So, and being someone who likes the Rocketeer and Indiana Jones and all that, I, I really like to see a Superman origin story set in that time period. I thought that was really cool. Uh, another book called The Last Days of Krypton. I have not read that one. Uh, it's from 2007, um, but supposedly that one is also a very good one. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about Superman music, but uh, I think we're going to kind of uh, cut that part out here and, and maybe I can come back to that at a later time. Uh, Mainly just to say John Williams. Th- that might be all that I say about Superman music is John Williams. And that I'm kind of convinced that if you want to have a really good. Um, superhero theme, you need to be able to say the superhero's name while you're listening to the music. So the whole Superman, I think that, um, I, I think that's kind of the requirement for superhero music is you need to be able to say the superhero's name. Um, more awkward when you get to somebody like Martian Manhunter, cause that's just a lot of syllables and I don't know what you do for Martian Manhunter or, um, green lantern green lantern i I don't know i'm not a musician so i'm not gonna try um then some of the video games that have come out uh for superman you had the death and return of superman on the super nintendo played that one a lot uh superman returns i had on the xbox and i know that that's it was similar to some of the spider-man games kind of the open world stuff that came out around that time where you could just fly around the city and do whatever you wanted to um supposedly you were also supposed to save people and stop supervillains, but I kind of just enjoyed flying. And so a lot of times I think I let a lot of people die. Um, maybe that's why I don't have a problem with man of steel because I'm okay with uh, innocent civilians dying. But uh, I think I spent a lot of time in that game just being like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm flying up here. Um, you, you take care of yourselves. I mean, frankly, what would you do if I wasn't here? Right? So I, Jor-El told me I am not allowed to interfere with, in the course of human history. And I kind of feel like if I save you, that's, that's interfering a bit. So I'm just going to enjoy flying around the city. Uh, So enjoyed playing that game. Uh, I've played the injustice games. Uh, The Lego Batman three beyond Gotham is a lot of fun. Play that with the kids sometimes. And um, the way I wanted to wrap this up is just to kind of think about, uh, you know, sometimes Superman is called the man of tomorrow. And I wanted to think about Superman is 80 years old. And in 20 years from now, he'll be a hundred years old and he's gone through some changes, but at his core, he's pretty much the same. So I wrote my, wrote some questions down for myself. Um, You know, how does the Superman stay, how does Superman stay relevant? How much should he change? Um, You know, and what would we, what would we predict to see in the man of steel's character in another 20 years? You know, what is this when he reaches 100, what is this going to look like? And, I've tried to think about that and and I don't know that it needs to look any different. I think that the changes he's gone through over time from being a solely American hero to somebody who kind of embodies the ideals of a universal human rights and, you know, a universal dignity of life and, and those kind of things, you know, the type of things that an outside observer, if aliens were to come to earth and they look at us, things that they could comment on and say, that behavior seems kind of dumb. Why are you doing that? not not necessarily being judgmental. I don't think Superman needs to be judgmental. I think that's where you know he a lot of people lose him is if he becomes too preachy. But I think that Superman being one of us um, here on earth, but also being this other. Creature, this alien. I think that that's where, when you go back to the Richard Donner movies, kind of tying in the the uh, Jesus imagery. I think you know whether you believe in the Jesus stories or not, as part of a religious belief, as part of a faith. I think that there's a reason that that's endured for two thousand years, is that you have a story, even if you don't believe this is as part of a belief system, you have a story of someone who has come to earth to save the people of earth, to show them a different way. And that person, while being separate from us in some ways, is also here with us. And so you have the idea of if if Christ is man and God, then you have the ability for him to both be a separate outside observer, but also be here with us in the trenches, knowing what it is that we struggle with and knowing what it is that we go through. Um, And so I think that's where you keep Superman from being too preachy and judgmental. Um, But you have, he has a perspective where he's able to comment on what it is that we're doing as a society, as a people, and um, you know, maybe try to guide us towards a, a better way. Um, now obviously Superman is a character created by writers and artists and, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a human imagination that's coming up with these stories, but I think it's a an a interesting way for us to be able to comment, uh, through the artists and through the writers to be able to comment on our own society and our own failings and, and our own hope for the future and things like that. I, I really do think that, while Batman is a great character and I love Batman, um, I think that Superman is the character that really helps us kind of look forward to what we can be. Um, I go back to that original line that I pulled from uh, in the last episode that I pulled from one of the uh, comics where Superman thought he was going to die. So he etched a message into the moon and it was, um, you know, that everybody can be a Superman and that, Superman is all about hope. He's all about the best of what we can be. um, If we just, if we just strive towards that better ideal. So I don't know that I see the Superman character changing a whole lot in the next 20 years. I think that he's, I think he's a pretty relevant character and, and especially just as, as things are going on in the world, I don't think that at his core, as long as he doesn't change at his core to be someone who is all about the common good and Helping people and sticking up for uh, the little guy, I, I think as long as that doesn't change, as long as there's that truth and that justice, and it's not just truth and justice for one demographic or, or one nation in the world, then I think we don't need him to change any more than that. I think as long as he stays true to that character, then. Superman will be fine for when he's a hundred, when he's 150 and, and can go on and continue on as this character who allows us to kind of comment on ourselves and, uh, you know, what we can be as a, as a people, uh, we will accomplish wonders with him. So I think that's going to do it. Um, You know, that's going to do it for my two-part 80th anniversary of Superman. So thank you so much for joining me. I have rambled on for about an hour and 20 minutes now about all the stuff I love about Superman. There's probably a bunch of stuff I didn't have a chance to get to, um, but too bad. So uh, we're going to be coming back on Wednesday with our, uh, it's our return of the killer tomatoes and tape heads episode. So steal yourself for that one. And they're weird, so if you want to go find them, uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes I found on YouTube, and Tapeheads. Heads, um, it's not anywhere streaming. I think I got a copy from my local library, so you might have to go look for that one. But uh, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to talk any more about any of the Superman stuff I mentioned, if you want to disagree, agree, whatever, uh, we are on Twitter, at three zero podcast. We're also on Facebook 30 podcast. We are on Instagram. We are, we have our website, three zero podcast.com. Uh, we are on all the different places you can listen to podcasts, uh, whether it is Google play, whether it's on an Android device, whether it's iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Satchel, all those different places. We also have a voicemail line. So if you want to call in, leave a message. Uh, it it will go straight through to voicemail. So you're not bothering anybody when you call that line in. Um, but you can feel free to call our voicemail line. It's 872-356-6843. Um, but again, my name is John Reed. Thank you for joining me. And we will see you back here in just a few days for Return of the Killer Tomatoes and Tapeheads. Heads. In the meantime, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Go read some good comics and go watch some good Superman TV shows and then come back and tell me all about it because I love that stuff too. Uh, But be excellent to each other and we'll see you next time.